Hello and welcome everyone to another episode of Voices of E-Learning. I'm your host, as always, J.W. Marshall with Market Scale, and we're so glad that you found us today. Our guest on today's episode is none other than Tim Slade, a freelance e-learning designer and founder of the E-Learning Designers Academy. Tim, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? Doing great. And really excited to have you on because, as you know, we cover a lot of topics on this podcast. And one that I've been wanting to dive deeper into for a while now is the actual e-learning instructional design components. What goes into making courses, uh, how to look for good courses, um, and really the instructional design community uh, of designers. And who are they and where do they come from and how do they get good at what they do? And I couldn't think of a better uh, guest and expert than yourself to uh, join this episode. So thank you for having uh, for joining us. And if we could start out by just letting you give our audience a little background on yourself and what you do uh, as far as the e-learning designers academy yeah for sure so um I, you know as you said in the introduction i work primarily as a freelance e-learning designer so working with different clients corporate clients big and small organizations and i help them develop uh you know e-learning content that they deploy to their employees and their learners and their organizations and when i'm not working with um uh, my clients doing custom e-learning development. I also have the e-learning designers academy, which, uh, as you mentioned, um, and that's where I um, offer content, resources, training, online courses to help new e-learning designers build their skills and grow their careers as e-learning designers and developers. And I love using e-learning to train e-learning designers. Just makes sense. Uh, I'm surprised there isn't more of that happening. So hopefully, this is a kind of groundbreaking stuff that. Uh, will continue to, uh, you know, expand. Um, but first of all, tell us a little bit about your story and how did you get into e-learning design? Yeah, you know, uh, I used to think for a long time that my journey into e-learning was really unconventional. But over the years, I've learned that uh, my story is not unique. Um, I, you know, bef before I got into the world of e-learning, I was doing something uh, that had nothing to do with e-learning or instructional design or learning. Um, I actually, I used to catch shoplifters for a living. I worked in retail loss prevention um, and I sat in this tiny little camera room and I would control all these cameras and, and catch shoplifters. And I have a degree in criminal justice. And uh, one day my boss came along and he said, hey, you're good at catching shoplifters. You should train others on how to catch shoplifters. And uh, there was a, a training coordinator position opened at the corporate office of this retailer that I worked at at the time. And I took the job thinking it was going to advance my loss prevention career. Um, and that's how I was introduced uh, to the world of e-learning and instructional design and, and the rest was, was kind of history. And, and through that process, I learned that a lot of folks in our industry don't have any formal background in e-learning or instructional design. They were good at something. And then someone said, hey, you should teach others how to do that thing. And before you know it, they've fallen into the world of, of learning and development. That's great. And that's so often the case uh, with entrepreneurs. They're good at something. They want to start their own business to do that thing. Yep. Or you're a subject matter expert, and now you're getting tapped to train others. And they're really two different skill sets oftentimes, right? Being good at what you do uh, doesn't always translate easily to being able to teach others how to be good at what you do. Um, so give us a little background on what are some of the the key challenges that e-learning designers um, tasked with training others often run into at the start. 
Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I think a lot of the folks who um, fall into this industry because they were good at something and then uh, they're teaching others how to do it. At the end of the day, like uh, somewhere within them, they are... uh, either wanted to be or discover that they're they're good educators, right? Uh, in one way or another, and that gets noticed and that gets tapped into. But the problem I think a lot of folks struggle with when they're literally thrown into a role where they're teaching others how to do it is applying all of the skills that uh, create good e-learning or good learning or good training in general. That's understanding adult learning theory, the instructional design, best practices, all of those things that nobody prepares you for that you kind of stumble through and discover by accident, um, you know, through a lot of trial and error and creating a lot of really bad e-learning courses or a lot of bad training. Um, I think that's the thing most people struggle with is they don't, you know, before I got into the world of e-learning or instructional design, I didn't know that instructional design or adult learning theory or any of that stuff was even a thing. You know, I thought uh, education was, you know, what people did, what teachers did in the classroom or what, you know, university professors did at universities. I didn't realize there was a world of adult learning theory and uh, learning development. Um, And so I, I think that's what a lot of people struggle with is just understanding how do you create good learning for adult learners? Yeah. And there really is a science behind it. And uh, this isn't a new concept that just happened, uh, although a lot of us think it is in 2020 with the pandemic, everyone's yeah. doing e-learning now, uh, but it's really been around for decades. Yep. Um, give us a little bit of um, sense of has e-learning changed a lot in the last year because of the pandemic, or has it just accelerated and come more to the forefront and we're using a lot of the same instructional design practices we would have used in 2019 or before? Yeah, I think it's a combination of two things. As I kind of uh, do a retrospective on 2020, um, as I'm sure we all have from from different points of view. Um, I, you know, I think a lot of organizations, you know, they, they went virtual, all their employees started working from home. And then they realized, oh, gosh, we have to deliver our training virtually now. And so what they did is they haphazardly converted what they were doing in the classroom to some sort of virtual delivery, either, you know, using a tool like WebEx or Adobe Connect or converting stuff to e-learning. And uh, that worked for the first half of the year. And then as they got into the second half of the year, they they re- reevaluated and went, gosh, this this sucks. We need to do something different or better. And then that's when they hire people like me or they hire more e-learning designers to actually create good e-learning content or good virtual digital learning content. And so I think, um, you know, nothing has really changed in terms of the best practices for creating good e-learning or good digital virtual learning in general. But I think all of those things that people like myself or other e-learning designers or other instructional designers have been trying so desperately hard to get organizations and our stakeholders and our subject matter experts who appreciate, they're finally appreciating it. Uh, And so I think it's just helped bring it to the forefront of, you know, what does it mean to create a good and effective performance-based e-learning course versus just dumping information onto our learners or taking a PowerPoint and adding a next button and calling it, you know, e-learning. So it's, yeah. And worse than that, taking an hour or more long PowerPoint or a voiceover PowerPoint and just putting it in a digital format. It reminds me of um, the original e-textbooks where Mm -hmm. they were not interactive. They were not engaging. They really weren't anything different than 
a paper textbook, but in PDF form. Um, right. And we've excelled so far beyond that um, and evolved so far behind that. Beyond that, it's it's pretty amazing. And, and I see that same future for e-learning. Um, to steal a quote from uh, 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 one of our course instructors at MarketScale, Jesse Cole, um, he equates uh, this to baseball and I equate it to e-learning uh, mm. in that it, historically it's been too long, too slow, and too boring. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course he's speaking to baseball and I'm speaking to historically, you know, HR compliance uh, courses yeah. that you'd think of just trying to gut through it and pass the test, uh, 71% and then never think about the content again. How mm-hmm. do we break that cycle, um, in this new age of, of e-learning? Gosh, that's like the million dollar question. Um, right? You know, uh, I've been thinking a lot about this lately, and I think it starts uh, one of the things in, in the eLearning Designers Academy. In fact, I, I open up one of my courses uh, talking about not even about e-learning. Like, there's so much more that goes into creating a good e-learning course that happens before you even open an e-learning authoring tool or think about the, the course that you're designing. And it's first making sure that you're uh, creating training that's actually solving training issues, not creating training to solve you know, leadership issues or hiring issues or motivation issues. Uh, so it's understanding, you know, what what is it that you want employees to be doing? Why aren't they doing it? Um, and how much of a change do you actually need to create? And then you have to understand why, you know, what's the cause of the performance issue and then start there. And then once you are actually developing the e-learning course, are you focusing on performance and behaviors and tasks? Or are you only focusing on knowledge transfer and dumping information on them. Um, and, you know, I, for me as an e-learning designer, it took me years before I fully appreciated uh, creating e-learning that actually resulted in behavior change and was actually focused on behaviors. And, and so I think that, you know, everybody's at a different point in their journey trying to master what that is. And organizations at large are still trying to figure out what that looks like and master what that is. But uh, you know, if anything came out of 2020, um, besides <laughs> companies adopting working from home, um, I think we're, we're slowly getting better at mastering what it means to make good fit for function e-learning content. I love that. You mentioned knowledge transfer and we're seeing the same thing. It's not just about learning outcomes, but it really is about performance outcomes in the business yeah. world. You've yeah. got to take this course. I use the example because MarketScale does over 2000 podcasts a year. Uh, we could create a course that teaches you conceptually the steps to creating a podcast, or we could create a course that at each step you get to participate and do a step. And yeah. at the end, you don't just pass a test, you actually do a podcast. And it may not be the greatest podcast you you could ever do, but at least at the end of the course, you can put that certification on that you know how and you've done one. And now you can take the next course, the level two that's getting better at doing podcasts, things like that. So I think anytime you can have active participation, um, which is sometimes tricky in the e-learning versus a hands-on on-site learning, but certainly doable uh, with a little bit of creativity is something that we found start to really pick up traction uh, in 2020. Have you seen a similar uh, response uh, for learners? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, one of the things I always tell my clients um, 
uh, or stakeholders when I when I used to have a full-time job or I tell people, other e-learning designers to say, you know, when they're talking with their stakeholders and subject matter experts is I never ask questions about what is it that learners need to know or what do they need to be aware of? And, and one of the things I always tell people is, you know, our learners, they don't need to know anything. People don't need to know things on the job. People need to be able to do things on the job and you should be focusing on the doing first and of course, there's things people need to know how to do in order to do those things, but it shouldn't be starting with the knowledge or the awareness first. It should be, what is it that people need to do? Uh, why aren't they doing it? And how do we work backwards towards a solution that gets people from point A to point B? Um, sometimes that's training, sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's e-learning, sometimes it's just a job aid. Um, and so even though I'm an e-learning designer by trade, that's what I focus in on. Uh, I'm, object I'm, a, I'm objective enough as a learning professional to realize that not everything's fixed with learning or even e-learning for that matter. So Absolutely. And uh, for oftentimes, we also see that if you start with why, kind of Simon Sinek mm -hmm. in e-learning, that's another really powerful way to set the tone for the course or what needs to be learned and performed. Um, because a lot of times that learner maybe, um, you know, having to take that course to, uh, you know, s uh, satisfy a requirement, um, and they may not be coming in very excited. And so even having a movie trailer about the course or sure. uh, the meet the instructor talking about why they're excited about it, this content and passionate and why the learner should be too, and what they're going to get out of it, what's in it for them, uh, I think has been really helpful. Um, how does that play into how you build your courses? Yeah, I mean, you know, sometimes we have to create courses that people don't want to have to take, you know, right. I mean, the com there's there's compliance courses that people either, you know, companies mandated or it's legally required. And, you know, my belief is, is that you, you try to make that as engaging and efficient as possible so people can get back to the job. Um, but with everything else, you know, it, you have to, uh, with any other topic outside of some sort of compliance related course, you have to you really have to get to the heart of what it is that's going to motivate that learner by, uh, or how is it going to improve their lives or their productivity or make their jobs easier by giving them that information. And if you can't tap into that, um, then you have to really, really ask yourself whether or not that learner is going to engage in that content. Um, and I think that's one of the hardest aspects of being a really good instructional designer and an e-learning developer is figuring out how are you going to convince that person that this content is going to make your life better, easier, you know, whatever's going to be that motivator. That's really hard. That is really difficult. And I love that you mentioned in there efficiency, that it's an efficient use of their time because time is the most precious, you know, asset that we have. Um, and we do a lot of micro learning, um, which seems to be a, a best practice. Um, and I like to joke that if you give a trainer or an educator uh, 60 minutes or, mm -hmm. you know, 120 minutes, uh, kind of like sweatpants, they'll fill that time. Um, yeah. And so I love about e-learning e that you can be really uh, intentional and you know what the, the learning outcomes, performing outcomes need to be, and you can reverse engineer what needs to be taught. And sometimes you can do that. And 20 or 30 minutes as opposed to two hours or a full day's training. Um, what experience have you seen as far as taking these on-site trainings and then kind of shrinking them down because you can pack more content into a effective, engaging, efficient e-learning course? Sure. Yeah. Whenever I'm working with a client or somebody who's trying to take what they're doing in person and convert it into uh, some sort of digital learning format, like an e-learning course or whatever the case might be, 
Um, the first thing I always tell people is, you know, you're never going to create, or you should never try to recreate that experience one for one. What you can do in the classroom uh, is totally different than what you do in an e-learning course. And the design of how you approach that content and how you approach um, how you help a learner put those skills into practice in the e-learning format is totally different than what you do in the classroom. And so you mentioned micro-learning. That's another really great example where uh, it's one of those buzzwords that you know, people in our industry talk about and uh, our stakeholders and our subject matter experts and our business partners want us to create micro-learning because they mistakenly believe that you can take what may be taught, maybe took eight hours to teach in the classroom. Well, we're going to condense that down to a five-minute e-learning course and get the same result. And, you know, creating good e-learning or creating good micro-learning isn't about condensing content. It's about strategically chunking that content. Uh, if it takes an hour or eight hours to learn something, there's no magical e-learning authoring tool or e-learning or instructional design technique that's going to magically make people learn that in five minutes versus an hour or eight hours. It's just how long that takes. And so uh, when you're taking something that was taught in the classroom and you're making it e-learning, you're really, really honestly, you're starting from square one because you have to reimagine what that course is going to look like and how you're teaching that content. Um, and that's kind of, that presents a lot of sticker shock for a lot of people, I think, but it's necessary. Well, and it's the challenge, but also the opportunity and the excitement mm -hmm. to do something new, to be creative and use your imagination on how can we do this a better way? I think for me, that's a big focus on 2021. How do we not go back to 2019 uh, mm -hmm. levels of e-learning and practices, but how do we make them better? How do we take what we learned in 2020 and ha have a better uh, experience for uh, our learners going into 21 and, and the years beyond. Um, I also like to say this is the the dawn of the golden age of uh, e-learning and, and really just the golden age of education, right? It doesn't need to be e-learning versus on-site trainings, right? It can be good e-learning versus bad e-learning and good on-site training versus bad on-site training. And oftentimes I think in 2021 and beyond, we'll see this hybrid model of here are the things that are best online, here are the things that are best in person, and you know, let's make this all about the learners. Um, so what are your predictions, I guess, for, for 2021 and, and beyond as far as where is e-learning going to go next? Gosh, I, I, you know, heck if I know. Or are <laughs> I, we already there? <laughs> maybe we're already there. I really like that you mentioned that, you know, it's not e-learning versus something else. Um, one of the things I hope uh, that we uh, as an industry and as a profession we get better at is realizing and respecting the fact that learning is a process of experiences that occurs over time. It's not a thing that happens in a classroom or behind the screen of an e-learning course. I can't tell you how many times I see people, organizations will release an e-learning course, a 30 minute e-learning course on a given topic, and then think, you know, boom, the learner has mastered a skill. Well, no, that's they haven't mastered the skill. It, it was just a training event. Uh, learning will occur over time as they maybe take those skills and then try and apply them and then they'll fail and then they'll learn from their failure. And that's how learning occurs. And so I've never been a big proponent of, uh, you know, when you're approaching a, or when you're trying to address a learning intervention, you know, the question is asked, well, should this be an e-learning course or should it be an instructor-led workshop or should it be a job aid or should it be uh, a how-to video? And my response is like, why does it have to be one thing or another? Uh, maybe it's an e-learning course with a job aid followed by some email communications and maybe followed by uh, a hands-on workshop, right? Uh, so I think what I hope we get better at 
is rather than focusing so much on these like these buzzwords and trends like gamification and micro learning or mobile learning, we we better uh, we become better we become better at accepting the fact and embracing that learning doesn't just happen because you sent your learners to an e-learning course or a workshop. It's a, a process and we have to find ways to support that process through different learning interventions. Absolutely. Learning I hope is, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Learn, no, learning is no longer a one and done, right? Yeah, it's right, not a, exactly. a one-time employee onboarding or customer onboarding, right? Yeah. Um, as we're building courses, we often tell our clients, and this is part of why we like micro learning is we say, you know, your, your learning courses should be living and breathing, you know, things, they should change within the year or the next year. Mm -hmm. uh, they are not a one and done. And so building in micro learning helps give you flexibility as products change or processes sure. change to make those changes quickly, efficiently, and not have to redo an entire course. Um, yeah. But really, it's to the heart of, uh, you know, what do those learners need now? And what are they going to need in the future? And how do we have a little more of a full strategy around that uh, beyond just a course, right? One course doesn't usually, uh, you know, solve all of the company's problems or the training issues, um, but it's a good place to start. Um, now, tell us, because you are a wealth of information and resources, tell us about the e-learning designers handbook. Yeah, so, um, you know, the e-learning designers handbook is something I, I, I wrote the first um, edition of that, I want to say, uh, or I published it, Back in 2017, I was um, I was working as the director of instructional design at GoDaddy at the time, uh, and this was before I, I I started my own business and started freelancing full time. And when I took this job at GoDaddy, I was tasked with taking a small team of individuals. Uh, they had all had different backgrounds. Some of them were classroom trainers. Some of them were just call center employees. Uh, some of them had some background in instructional design and e-learning. And I was tasked with helping these individuals become e-learning designers and developers. And I, I, I took that job and opportunity because uh, I thought it, it resonated with me uh, about how I felt when I was first thrown into the world of e-learning. And so through that process, uh, it was about a year of me working with them before um, I finally realized, oh gosh, I think I had a book on my hands of like, how to, how to design and develop e-learning when you don't have any formal background in it. So I wrote that first edition, 2017. And then when I uh, started my own business, uh, it'll be two years uh, this April, um, I, I wanted to update it. Uh, based on all the lessons I learned having written that first edition of the book. So I, I, I published the second edition of the e-learning designers handbook back in uh, October of last year. And it's really uh, what it, the, the reason I wrote it and, and, and what, I, what I'm trying to accomplish with it um, is it's, it takes all of the theory of instructional design and theory of good e-learning um, uh, content. And it, it helps somebody who doesn't have a formal background in instructional design or learning or adult learning theory. And it helps people apply those in a practical way uh, on the job. And so if you've never managed projects before, you've never managed an e-learning project, you've never managed stakeholders or subject matter experts, maybe you've never created an e-learning course. Maybe you have, maybe you've created a bunch of bad e-learning courses before. <laughs> the goal of the book is to help walk you through those practical skills that uh, will get you from point A to point B when you're tasked with creating an e-learning course. You've never done that before. 
So in a nutshell, that's what it is. <laughs> and without giving away all the, the secrets, uh, give us one or two examples um, to, to build some interest in my audience. And then also uh, let my audience know how can they get a copy of the, the uh, handbook? Yeah, gosh, um, I don't know. I'd have to flip through. I have the book here. I'd have to flip through it to find some really good uh, good secrets or samples out of it. I guess what I would tell people is it's it's not just all theory. <laughs> There's so right. many books out there that are just pure theory, and uh, the the book is is super 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 practical in terms of how do you actually apply those things on the job. Um, where people can get it is is on Amazon. So when you search e-learning, it's it's one of those top ones that show up there. So uh, you can find it on Amazon. Awesome. And then to transition earlier, you mentioned the eLearning Designers uh, Academy. Uh, give us a little background on how was that idea born and you just launched. Mm -hmm. This isn't exclusive, but it's still relatively uh, new and exciting. And uh, give us some background on that and how our audience can get more involved in that. Yeah, so um, it, it coincides with the book. <laughs> uh, when I published um, the first edition of the book, uh, it, it's kind of a funny story. I was in my pool uh, the weekend before the first edition of the book was going live. And uh, I was floating in my pool. I had had a few drinks. And I remember thinking to myself, I was like, oh, okay, I'm so happy to have the book done. And I thought, oh, I have all the content. If I wanted to create an online course, I've already written it. <laughs> and so at the time, I, 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 uh, I threw together a really quick MVP of an online course version of the book. Uh, it's kind of a pilot to see could I, you know, feasibly create, market, and and uh, maintain a course on uh, the same topics as the book, and I, I was able to do that. And so when I wrote the second edition of the book, um, I thought, gosh, I should I should expand upon this idea and create, you know, a full fledged program that people. Um, if they like the book, if the book is helpful, maybe they want some more structured guidance. And so uh, that's how the eLearning Designers Academy was, was born. And it's a blog uh, with resources and online courses uh, that kind of take what's in the book, but expand it, goes into more detail. Um, and so they can find that at elearningacademy.io. Perfect. Yeah. Um, and speaking to those out there that are thinking about getting into instructional design or e-learning design, um, talk a little bit about what you've seen as far as the changing um, marketplace. Um, obviously, there's increased demand, uh, but how have things changed in the last year as far as this emerging market? Yeah, you know, our market or our industry, e-learning specifically, and instructional design more broadly, uh, it's booming right now. Like there was just so much opportunity and there's so much interest to get into our industry. And uh, there's so many folks wanting to move out of their K through 12 jobs or people who uh, are maybe instructional designers or trainers and they want to get into e-learning. There's just so much opportunity. And the, the biggest change that I've seen in our industry, and this has been uh, happening even before 2020 and the pandemic, uh, but the biggest shift that I've seen is that more and more employers are hiring less for specific credentials that people have, such as formal educations or years of experience, and they're hiring for skills. Employers need to fill skills gaps, and so they're really focusing on what people can offer right now. Um, and what's special about that change is that you know, you don't need a formal background in learning or instructional design uh, or education to get into this industry. I mean, I, I have a, like I said, I have a degree in criminal justice. I have never once been asked by a client or an employer, 
why I don't have a degree in, um, you know, instructional design or learning theory. Uh, and the reason why that is, is because people care about the skills that I bring. And so uh, the biggest shift that I'm seeing is, is uh, skills-based hiring. And the best way for anyone looking to get into this industry is to find the best way that you can showcase your skills through a portfolio, um, go beyond just the resume, create a portfolio and showcase your skills. Uh, and it'll, it'll really give you a competitive edge uh, in this particular market right now. Yeah, and create a course, um, mm -hmm. maybe a mini course or a short course that could be a part of your uh, resume and, and you know, shows off your passions. Um, I love when you talked about, uh, you know, you're, you're in a field and you're passionate, uh, but maybe you want to shift into being an educator in that field, becoming a subject matter expert, um, doing things like the e-learning uh, Designers Academy and a number of other um, micro-credentials uh, are out there, I'm sure that uh, you can go out and just get a little bit of training um, and then really just start doing the work um, mm -hmm. and, and putting yourself out there and not being afraid to, to not be perfect on your first course. Because again, the course can be updated at any time. It's no longer a one-time, uh, you know, kind of print-based, print like, uh, you know, document that mm -hmm. can't be updated and changed. Yep, absolutely. All right, so we're nearing the end of our time, and uh, I always like to end on a half glass full uh, story. So if you could uh, share a story from 2020 or the beginning of 2021 here that um, is uh, positive, is exciting, is a success. Yeah, you know, I think um, hmm, that's a hard question. <laughs> you know, and oftentimes it's like there's so many. How can I like just pick one? Yeah, you know, what's, what I found interesting uh, through 2020 and 2021, you know, before the pandemic, I traveled uh, so frequently. I was either going to conferences or I was teaching workshops for different clients in person. And I thought I had made a lot of connections and networked and made friends within this industry. And uh, when, you know, 2020 hit and all those conferences that I attended were moved virtually or canceled and all those opportunities for networking were no longer there, I thought, oh gosh, it's going to be really, really lonely. Uh, and what I found to be really interesting is that as I look back at the last year, I've made so many more connections with people online you know, just informally getting on Zoom with people and chatting with people, complete strangers that maybe reach out to me on LinkedIn and they they just want to pick my brain about something. And I've made a concerted effort to just say, hey, you know, schedule some time on my calendar, let's connect. Uh, and I've made so many more connections in the last year being isolated in my little office than I ever made traveling and going to conferences in person. And I, I think that's been the most surprising thing for me. That's awesome. And then, yeah, the scale of the digital connection, just like with e-learning courses, you can reach so many more people than just being on site with a handful of people or even an auditorium. Mm -hmm. um, I love that, that connection to uh, the digital. Now, of course, I'm sure you're like myself, would love to get out there in person to a conference or two uh, in 2021 or, or at least 2022, um, but not to the levels that we were before. I don't want to be on the road 200 days a year. Right. Um, I think people have really found the, the overcorrection of the work-life balance or harmony as, as some are calling it. And uh, I think again, just like online versus on-site learning, I think we're going to find that mix of, uh, you know, doing the things that are really valuable online and then getting in person very strategically uh, and very uh, thoughtfully. Um, as that's a big time investment now, even more than it was before, because we have a different lens of, you know, kind of looking at that. Yep. 
Tim, this has been a great conversation. We will definitely have you back on uh, sooner than later as this, uh, you know, trend uh, is continuing to evolve. This market is continuing to emerge. Um, We wish you all the best with the eLearning Designers Academy. And uh, to everyone in my audience, uh, you know, check out the eLearning Designers Handbook. And um, thanks for joining us. So uh, thanks again, Tim. Yeah, thank you for having me. And to my audience, thank you so much for joining us for another episode. Be sure to check out past episodes and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you next week. Thanks again and always, always keep learning.